we are closing out a series uh, called Explicit Grace today. So excited about where we're going. Uh, just a couple things real quick before we get into the message. You guys, listen, Easter is coming. We're so excited. Uh, we are doing one service at Eagle River High School, 10 a.m., and it's just going to be a huge week for us. Uh, we've got uh, Good Friday, which is happening right here on Friday night, and let me just encourage you, if, if uh, a Good Friday service is not kind of part of your tradition uh, for Holy Week, I just would really encourage you to, to, to make that part of your routine, to come here and uh, to, to celebrate what Christ did as he went to the cross. Now, I, maybe that seems a little weird to you, but we first have to celebrate and understand what Christ did on the cross for us to actually celebrate the resurrection. And so I want to inc- invite you to that. Come join us Friday night uh, right here. We want to pack this room out and uh, just set our hearts on, on what Christ did for us, the price that was paid for us so that we can uh, truly be ready uh, to celebrate the resurrection. So be here for that. Uh, we have the egg drop on Saturday. It's just going to be awesome. We're really excited about that. Um, also, uh, Easter Sunday, I really could use your help with something. Um, here's the thing. We have done the math, and we think we're going to run out of parking. So just throwing that out there. So here's what we've done is uh, all Easter Sunday morning, starting at 8.45 a.m., there's going to be shuttles running from this location over to the high school. And and so there'll be buses going back and forth, and we've made it as efficient as possible. So here's what I need for you. Um, It's that you would consider parking here on Easter Sunday morning and then taking the shuttle over there. And then during the service, if you need to come back, the shuttles will be running. And then right when the service is over, shuttles will be running back here. And I think we can do it really efficiently and uh, you can get on with your day. But uh, here's the thing. We're, We're just looking for your help. Uh, because we don't want for somebody that's one of your neighbors and one of your friends to show up to the high school and not have a parking spot and turn right around and uh, have to go home or, or whatever. We don't want that to be an excuse, not to be part of what's happening at the high school. And so the question is, are you willing to give up a parking spot and be a little inconvenient so that somebody else can hear the gospel? Yes. yes, okay. Six people. Awesome. That's great. We'll have six cars and all these buses running. That's okay. Um, the rest of you, I just, would you talk it over uh, with your family if, uh, if you're coming with a family? Even if you've got some friends that you're coming with, make sure you carpool and then park here and uh, shuttle over. If you must park there, you can, but definitely try to help us out with that uh, because we're really, we're, we're really sure that we're going to run out of parking spaces there on, uh, on Easter morning. So um, I think that is it kind of for announcement type stuff. You guys, we are finishing out a series of talks through the book of Romans. And I hope that you've had a chance to read through the book of Romans by this point. If you haven't, you can jump on that this week and read through it. It is uh, uh, written by a man named Paul to the church in Rome. And it's really explaining to them the theology of grace and helping them understand what they've been saved from and what they've been saved to. And it's been a great journey for us. We called it explicit grace because we believe that the grace of Jesus is challenging And it's even offensive sometimes because it gets up in all of our business. Uh, It gets into every nook and cranny of our lives. And when you truly understand the grace of Jesus, that's just what it does. And so the first week we explained how broken and needy we are. We explained the lostness of, of humanity and how we need a savior. We're not just a little bit good. We're actually totally sinful and totally broken. And you might be like, well, that's terrible news. Well, it is. Apart from Christ, it is terrible news. 
But with Christ, it's good news. And that's the gospel is then Jesus comes and he, he, he justifies us before God just as if we'd never sinned and then he sanctifies us and makes us holy. And now we're on this journey to understand what it means to love what Jesus loves and live like Jesus lived. And so that's our mission as a church is to help people take their next step in, in Jesus, to know how to move forward and how to love people and love God just the way that Jesus did. And so we are finishing out this last week in Romans chapter 15. And this is Palm Sunday. And I don't know if, uh, if you grew up in the church, but for me growing up in the church, this was always when the kids would line up on the aisle at the church and they'd lay down little palm branches and, and coats. And it, we, we would have all the, the symbols that Jesus had as he walked into the city of Jerusalem. What we see is that this is the moment that Jesus first really receives publicly the title as king. Uh, Up until this point, when people called him the Messiah, called him the Savior, he would resist that and say, now now don't tell anybody about it. Now he knew who he was, and he didn't tell them they were wrong, but he, he tried to keep it a secret because he knew his time had not come. The time had not come for him to go to the cross, but at this point, Jesus, in all boldness, goes into the city and receives all the fanfare and the excitement and the praise that a typical king would receive, except for one difference. Jesus doesn't ride in on this horse like a a steed. He rides in on a donkey, which would have been a really big deal. Like, Like he chose the vehicle of a loser to ride into the city as the king. And this is, this is key because Jesus kind of is trying to draw this distinction that he, he's like, I know I'm the Messiah, and he's receiving that title. But at the same time, he wants people to know that he is going to come as a different kind of king. He's not going to show up like all the people who are praising him want him to show up. I mean, they're thinking, okay, Jesus is going to come in here. He's going to overthrow Rome. He's going to show up with power and force, and he's going to take over and change this place. Instead, Jesus shows up as a servant to humanity, knowing that he would go to the cross. And we know within one week, all of their screams of praise turned into screams of crucify him. Take him. Kill him. And so it's amazing how quickly people shift. You didn't do what we wanted you to do. You're not the king we expected, and so let's just get rid of him. Let's kill him. And so today what we're doing is we are considering that. And when Jesus shows up and takes the title of king, it forces a decision. I mean, this would have been a huge watershed moment in in his ministry because I can imagine all the Pharisees and the people who had been criticizing him up to this point were like, okay, this is when it changes. He just received the title of Messiah. Uh, Like publicly, people know, okay, this is the Messiah. This forces people to make the decision. Is he a total lunatic or is he actually God? And all of, his, all of his opposers were sure, this man is a lunatic. He is not the Messiah. He is not coming the way that we thought he would come. And it forces the decision, and, and we today consider the same decision. We have to decide, is Jesus the king? Because you can't land in the middle, and that's what, that's what this, de- this, this decides for us. It's like, you can't say, well, okay, he's, he's the king, but, you know, I'm going to push him to the side and not make him my master. Either he is your master, he is the king, or you are screaming, crucify him. You land on one side or the other. So a question for you as, you, as we start off today, uh, any multitaskers in the room? Anybody multitasking? So I am terrible at multitasking. I don't do anything well when I'm doing multiple things at once. Um, I'm the kind of person that puts the remote control in the refrigerator when I'm talking on the phone because I just, have you done this? It's just me. Uh, I, do, I do ridiculous things when I'm trying to multitask in my life. Nothing goes well 
when I'm multitasking. My wife will be talking to me. I'll be watching TV. Any husbands, you know how this goes. And then she says, honey, what do you think about that? And you've got like a 50-50 chance. I like it, right? She's like, honey, I just said that your daughter went to the principal's office, right? You're like, I like that she's becoming educated at an early age, that she can't get away with anything she wants. And, you know, I, I can't do two things at once, but I'd like to think I can, and so I fill my life up with a lot of different things. I get really busy, and, and most of us try uh, to do multiple things at once. We think that we can do it, and I ran across this article this week. It was really interesting. It was a study uh, about multitasking, and here's, uh, here's what it said. It says, as technology allows people to do more tasks at the same time, the myth that we can multitask has never been stronger, but researchers say it's still a myth. And they have the data to prove that people can't multitask very well. And when people say they can, they're deluding themselves, said neuroscientist Earl Miller. And he said the brain is very good at deluding itself, Miller, a professor of neuroscience at MIT. He says for the most part, we simply can't focus on, one, uh, on more than one thing at a time. What we can do, and this is key, he said, is shift our focus from one thing to the next with astonishing speed. So when we think that we're multitasking, we're not actually multitasking, we are actually shifting from one thing to the next very, very quickly, right? We're listening to the wife, we're watching the movie, you know, we're talking on the phone, we're trying to get something for dinner, we're, we're doing a lot of things and we're going back and forth. And I've, I've entitled uh, today's discussion, today's talk, One Track Mind, because I, I think what Jesus forces us to determine on Palm Sunday is where is our heart? What are we about who is Jesus? Is our faith real? Is it real? Are we all about him? Are we all in or are we out? It forces us to make a decision to determine what is our focus. Where are we standing in life? So we're going to get into the text. I want to pray for us and then we'll open God's word. Jesus, thank you uh, for the church. Thank you that we can come here safely and uh, gather together and open your word. And God, I know there's a lot of stories in this room this morning. Um, there's, there's broken situations. Um, God, there's a lot of fear. There are doubts. There are people who um, are falling more and more in love with you and people who um, seem to, to wonder if you're even there or even listening. And so, God, we all come together under the same roof here today, um, unified under one thing. We're all broken and in need of grace. And, God, you came for all of us. And so, God, I pray that you'd convict us where we need conviction and, God, challenge us where we need to be challenged and encourage us, where we need encouragement this morning. Pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Romans chapter 15, open up to that passage if you have a Bible. If you don't, you can download the ACF Church app, and uh, that's on Android or the iPhone. You can follow along with us um, on there. All the notes and the scriptures are on there. But Romans chapter 15 is where we're at, and Paul uh, is finishing out his letter and this is almost like, um, like a conversation among friends is what it feels like. He's closing out his letter, trying to help people hear his heart. It's like he wants them to know what his focus is, what he's all about. And, and so this is how Paul closes out his letter to the church in Rome. Romans 15 verse 14 says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, knowledge and able to instruct one another. So Paul, it's almost like he's buttering them up a little bit. Have you ever had to do this where you're going to kind of drop some information on somebody and you're going to challenge them, but you first start off by saying, listen, I, I believe in you. 
you know, I know you know a lot of stuff. I know you're, you're, you're doing good at this and you're doing good at that. And you just, you hear in Paul as a pastor, he's like, I want to prepare you for this. I want to prepare you for this whole message that I've been bringing you. He says in verse 15, but on some points I have written to you very boldly as a way of reminder. The book of Romans is a bold book, isn't it? If you have read through it, you know it is challenging. I mean, there's so much there, so much we didn't even get into, but Paul is like, listen, I know I've been pretty rough. And I know this reality of this letter is it's pretty harsh in some ways. It's gonna challenge you. It's gonna cause you to determine, do you truly have faith in Jesus? Are you really gonna be a follower or are you gonna walk away? And I love that he uses the word by way of reminder. I love that he says like, basically, you guys know this stuff. Kind of like here in this room, many of you have grown up in the church. You have a lot of knowledge about the gospel. You know the information. You've read the scriptures. But maybe you just needed a reminder of it. Uh, maybe for you, coming through these series of talks, the gospel is a little more beautiful than it was before. Maybe God's grace is a little bit bigger than it was before. Maybe your salvation has a little less to do with you and a little bit more to do with God than it did before. And this is what Paul hopes to do. And so he's like, I know, I'm just reminding some of you of what you already know, that you already know that the grace of Jesus only comes through him and not by what you have done. He says, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. You see, Paul sees himself as a minister of the gospel. You just sense that this is what this man is all about. I mean, he has given up everything so that he might share the gospel with people. And he is excited about it. He's, he knows this is the call of his life to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. Here's what I want you to know today is that as much as this is Paul's call, this is your call as well. This is my call to be in the priestly service of God as a minister of Christ Jesus. And I wonder for you, do you see yourself that way? It's really interesting. We had a, a talk at our small group this week. And we we're just talking about um, how are we doing as disciple makers? I asked the question, anybody here, do you feel like you're killing it as a disciple maker? Like, like as somebody who is to go into the world, preaching the gospel, sharing the good news of the kingdom of God, anybody here think that you're killing it? And, and nobody's hands went up. People are like, no, I don't feel like I'm killing it at all. And we had a great conversation of what this looks like. And I asked the question, why not? What is it that's keeping you from being a minister of the gospel? And the common, the common answer across the room was, I don't think I'm good enough. That was the common answer. I feel like once I figure this out, I'll be able to be a minister of the gospel. I feel like once I kick this bad habit or when I, once I educate myself in this piece of theology, then I can be a minister of the gospel of God. And so we look at a man like Paul and we're like, Paul, you wrote Romans. Surely you're, you can do this, right? Surely you're qualified to be a minister of the gospel. But me, I don't think so. I don't think so. But here's the thing. Scripture would disagree with that. I think Jesus would disagree with that. 1 Peter 2, 4 says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves are like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. That's, that's awesome. You know what that says? That says you are a minister of the gospel. You are part of a holy priesthood. When you choose to follow Jesus, 
When you become a disciple of Christ, if you've made that decision, guess what? You are ordained to the work of God. How do you feel about that? Anybody feel qualified for that? You're like, no. And that's, that's, that's the point. Like, you were never qualified. Even Paul isn't qualified for this. Because you know what Paul can't do? He can't change the human heart. Only Christ can do this, and only the Spirit can do this. And so through your weakness and through your inability to, to, to articulate certain things of theology, God does miracles and changes lives. He chose Paul. Think about it. God chose Paul, a persecutor of the church, to be the, the most influential one in the early church. That's amazing. He chose somebody who is not qualified and qualified him through Christ Jesus. You will never be qualified because you're talented enough, because you're articulate enough, because you are good enough morally. You will only be qualified to be a minister of the gospel because of what Christ has done in your heart. You need to know that. That's why somebody here, you can be you know, the, the, the youngest Christian in the room. Like let's say today you make the decision, I'm gonna follow Jesus, I'm gonna put him at, at the top of my life and, and make him my Lord. And you walk out of this place, you are a minister of the gospel to the world. That's your job. You have a calling, you have a mission, you have a purpose, and you go out and you do it. And what's really awesome, I love some of you are brand new Christians. And, and, and you're like, okay, justification, you're, this is all brand new theology, sanctification, this is all brand new theology. And, and you're talking to your friends, and your friends are coming to church, they're interested in learning more about God, learning more about the Bible, and, and you are disciple making, and, and you're just one step beyond them. And that's the cool thing. You are all ordained as ministers of the gospel. I ordain you all. There you go. You don't need to go to seminary to be ordained as a minister of the gospel. I mean, go to seminary, that's great. You can do that. But you don't need to go and get some kind of special education to be a minister of the gospel. Now, when you hear the word priestly service, um, I don't know what you think about that. Like, if you're from a Catholic background, something might pop into your head. It, it just depends on where you're, where, where you're from. Uh, th that will determine how you feel about the word priestly service. But when I think of a priest or a minister, I think of somebody who's totally sold out to the cause, don't you? Like, like that guy is all the way. That guy or that gal is in it. I mean, they are focused on the mission. You know, that's a, that's a minister of the gospel. Like somebody who is totally sold out to the cause, Right? Now, you may not see yourself that way, but I think what we tend to do is, is imagine these certain people who have been ordained for that type of work, that like extreme, uh, that extreme focus. But once again, we just read this, that we are all ordained as ministers of the gospel. Now, when, we, when you think of the word sold, the word sold out, um, there's a lot of different connotations there. To be sold out means to be totally focused, right? I mean, if you're sold out, for Jesus, that means that everything that you do is focused on Jesus. He, it is, you have a one-track mind, always thinking about Jesus. But sold out also has a different connotation, doesn't it? Like, have you ever known somebody that, that sold out? I mean, you thought they were going one direction, they went another direction? Uh, here's the example that came to my mind. Think of the name of, like, a band that everybody loves to hate. Nickelback, right? That's it. Every service, it was always the same. It's always Nickelback. Everybody hates Nickelback. You can look it up on uh, Google Images. There's a thousand memes about Nickelback. Everybody loves to hate Nickelback. Here's the thing, confession. I was totally a Nickelback fan back in the day. When they first hit the scene, I loved them. I thought they were awesome. 
but, but here's the thing, over time, they changed, right? And they started writing music that people weren't behind. They're like, oh, you guys totally sold out, right? Something, something cut in on them. Some kind of motivation came and changed their music, changed their writing. And then everybody's like, oh, we love to hate Nickelback because they sold out, right? Nobody respects somebody who sold out, and I don't know if they did or they didn't. You know, maybe they, they have their focus. But for, for us, we look in from the outside and we're like, we think that you sold out and we can't respect that, right? Now, I want to ask you a question here this morning. When it comes to Jesus, are you sold out or have you sold out? Now, one little word makes a big difference. Are you sold out or have you sold out? Because to sell out means that there's something that cut in on you, some kind of focus, some kind of distraction that came in and took your focus away from the things that truly mattered. And maybe you've become something that you never wanted to become because you actually sold out to something else. So that's my question for us just to wrestle with today. Are you sold out or have you sold out? When Jesus came into the city as a king, he forced people to make a decision. You will either make me your Lord or you will crucify me. What will you do with Jesus? Is your faith real here today? Write this down. I think that we will be consumed by our cause. We will be consumed by our cause. Whatever it is that you are focused on, whatever it is that is taking your, uh, your attention, that's the thing that will ultimately end up consuming you. And maybe it's, it's, it's something that you said six years ago. You're like, this is just going to be for a season. I'm going to obsess about this for a short period of time. And those, those days turns into, turned into months, turned into years, and maybe a whole season of your life was spent focused on the wrong things. We will be consumed by our cause. What it is that we think about, what it is that we obsess about, will ultimately consume us. Because I don't know if you know this, but you were actually created to worship. You're created, God made you as a worshiper. And so what it is that you focus your life on is what it is that you're worshiping. And that thing that you worship will ultimately consume you. It's so interesting. We'll be consumed by our cause. And here's the thing, if your cause is anything but Jesus, it will destroy you. Because when it consumes you, it will kill you. Jesus is the only one that when he is our cause and he is our focus, he is, he is meant to consume us. He, is, he heals us and makes us whole. He's the only thing, though, when, when, it, when he becomes our cause, that we actually become better and healthier. But anything else in this world, when it becomes our cause, it consumes us to our demise. There's, there's an old quote, and maybe you've heard this before, um, that says, if the devil can't make you bad, he can make you, anybody? Busy. If the devil can't make you bad, he can make you busy. And that's, that, that's so true because sometimes distractions are the worst things for us. Uh, sometimes like, okay, I'm not doing bad things, I'm just busy in my life. And so because of that, I am sidelined from the mission that God has given me. Paul is closing out his letter to the, to the church in Rome, letting them know this is my focus. I am focused on reaching people with the gospel. Let's keep going. Verse 17, in Christ Jesus, then I have reason to be proud of my work for God. Paul is excited about what he's a part of. He's not proud in an arrogant sense. He's, he's proud because God is working through what he's putting his hand to. He's excited about the movement of the kingdom of God in the world around him, that he gets to be a part of it. He says, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. 
Don't you love that? Paul is just focused, isn't he? He's focused. And he says, I'm not going to speak about anything else. Like when you get together with me, uh, my conversations are going to shift towards the gospel because I am focused on reaching people with the good news. That is my mission. That is my cause. That's my obsession. And so it just comes out in his life. And, and I wonder for you, like, do you have that friend that always brings the conversation a little bit deeper? That friend that, you know, they won't stand for talking about the weather and, you know, talking about this and that for very long. They will bring it in like, hey, how's your marriage? You know, how's your life going, right? And they're going to be honest with you. And they want to bring out real conversation and, and real things that are going on in your world. Because they, they, have, a, they have this deeper sense that there's more to life than these, these kind of frivolous conversations. This is Paul. Paul is always bringing up the deeper things of life. He's always bringing in the gospel. And it's a very natural outpouring of his heart. Because once again, he is consumed by his cause. His cause is Jesus. And so it flows naturally about out of his mouth. He just can't help it. He can't help it. He just talks about Jesus. And I wonder if that's you today. Is it, is it something that you, you dare not speak about other things for very long? Because you know that what your life is about is about Jesus. Write this down. We speak naturally about what we love. It's just natural. Whatever it is that you're passionate about, it's going to come out in your conversations, right? If you're a parent, you're going to talk to somebody for like five seconds before you're like, little Billy, last Friday, it was so cute. He like got the spoon up to his mouth and it went all over his face and like he's just getting so big. And you just, when you love something, it flows from your lips, doesn't it? We speak naturally about what we love. Paul speaks naturally about the gospel because it's just like food for his soul. You just sense that it's what keeps him breathing and, and, and living. It's, it's kind of, it's really what drives him is the good news about Jesus. And, and so I, I would say for us as a church, we need, to, we need to identify in our own lives, does the gospel flow naturally from our lips? Does discipleship naturally happen? Do we naturally bring people into the deeper things of life? Because if we don't, we have to look back at our hearts and we have to ask ourselves, is our faith real? Am I sold out or have I sold out? Am I sold out or have I sold out? Because if you're not, then what you're gonna do is you're gonna leave here and go try to be a better church inviter, right? You're like, I'm gonna do better at this. And then you're gonna have these awkward conversations where somebody's like, hey, uh, you know, I can't stand when I can't find a parking spot. And you're like, uh, you know, there's a parking spot at my church and I'll save one for you and you should come to my church. And they're like, that's just awkward. It's just uncomfortable, right? It didn't fit in the conversation, but you're trying to force it because you know like, okay, a good Christian invites people to church. It's not what it's about. I'm not telling you to just go invite people to church. I think it's good. I hope that you're proud of what's happening here. I hope that you're excited about what God is doing in our midst. But at the same time, don't force it because you gotta go back to your heart and, and find out why, why is this so awkward for me? Why don't I wanna talk about my church or, or, or what God is doing in my life? What is, what is it that's driving? Maybe my obsession is how people view me. Maybe I'm just afraid that I'm gonna get judged and I'm going to be that crazy Christian that's always talking about God, right? I think when you find what drives your fears, when you find what drives your obsessions, you will find your cause, you will find your God. But when, when Jesus is front and center, when he is the one that is your focus, when your faith is real, when you haven't sold out, then he's going to flow from your lips. I had a really great conversation with a couple from our church this week. It was cool. They um, have been coming for uh, five or six years, and... Um, 
they're so excited about what God is doing in their midst. They're excited about ECF. They're growing as believers. And in our conversation, they were like, well, you, I, I just got to tell you, for the first time in our lives, we just can't stop talking to people about our church. And I loved that. I was like, that's awesome, right? And that's good, right? And I'm like, well, what's that about? They're like, God is just doing such amazing stuff in our hearts. We feel alive in our faith, and we just want to share that with people. And here's what I know as a pastor. I know when they say they can't stop talking about their church, that they're not lifting up the name of ACF. They're lifting up the name of Jesus, right? Because when you're like, I love my church, which you can say that. You can say, I love my church. What you're saying is, I love what God is doing in our midst, You are lifting up the name of Jesus, and we are making him great in this community. And so I love that they're like, for the first time in in many, many years, and we've been in churches for our whole lives, we are excited about talking about our church, talking about God, talking about what he's doing in our midst. And I hope that's you today, and if it's not, we have to identify why not. Why is it? Because you can go give that invite card to somebody this week, invite them to church, and that's cool. I think it'd be great. I think, I think it's a great act of love for somebody else. Be like, hey, you know, come, come to Easter. But at the same time, if you're like, I don't really want to do this, and it's not really natural for me, you've got to identify where is my heart. Why don't I feel natural about this? Matthew 12, 36, Jesus says this. I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. Challenging, right? So Jesus says, hey, what you say matters. What comes out of your mouth matters. It carries a lot of weight. And and he uses an interesting word. He uses the word justified and condemnation. And and, and if you've been here for the whole series in Romans, the first thing you're going to be like is, wait a minute. I didn't think I was justified by magic words. I thought I was justified by Jesus, Brian. Did Jesus just tell me I'm justified by words that I say, that that that's how I make myself right before God? That's not what he's saying at all. Jesus is saying what he always says, which is out of the heart, the mouth speaks. From your heart, the mouth speaks. And so if you want to know where somebody's heart is, you, you, you listen to what comes out of their mouth. It's scary, right? Some of you are like, oh boy, that's not good news, right? I mean, I think we read this passage and we think Jesus is just saying, don't cuss, right? Uh, Just make sure you don't say swear words. Watch, you know, those are careless words. I think what Jesus is calling us to do is to to let our speech reflect our hearts and, and to identify what is driving our hearts. Because out of our hearts, our mouths will speak. Careless words. He says, on the day of judgment, that will be a, a sort of a, a temperature. You can take the temperature of somebody's heart based on what they say. Here's what's scary about that. You've said stuff before and you're like, oh, I didn't mean it, right? Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. Well, the problem is you probably did. I mean, there's part of you that meant it. There was something in your heart that, that came out and you're like, oh, I don't like that. I mean, stuff it, stuff that back in, right? That's what we do. We stuff it in instead of dealing with our hearts, trying to figure out, okay, maybe I don't forgive you for that thing you did years ago, or, or maybe I'm angry with you, and it just it came out in, in a terrible way, and, and maybe instead of stuffing it and trying to control my words, I need to identify what's going on in my heart. So what's going on in your heart this morning? What flows from your lips? What naturally flows from your life? Are you sold out, or have you sold out? And that's what we need to know. What takes up your thoughts? What takes up your time? What takes up your money? And these are the things that we put our hearts into. 
Those are things that you can use to determine where is somebody focused. The word, when he says careless words, it's a Greek word, uh, the word argos. And that word is also used in the book of James. James 2 says this, this really uh, well-known verse. He says uh, in verse 20, Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? So harsh words from James, once again saying that, that your faith is not made real by your works, but true faith results in works. True faith will result in a different kind of lifestyle. It's going to mean that you're going to serve your neighbor. It's going to mean that you live sacrificially. It's going to mean that you forgive when somebody does something that's just plain unforgivable. And that's going to be an identifying factor of true faith. It's the same with your speech. It's the same with what comes out of your mouth. So those are those are words that are careless words. We think of things that we shouldn't say. What about the things that you should say that you don't? I mean, how many of you guys know that, that words left unsaid can be just as damaging as words that were said? Do you know that? Like, how many of you have a story where you're like, yeah, I grew up and uh, I never really heard I love you from my dad. He, he literally just never said it. And that, that kills me. Or, or maybe there's something from your spouse or, or maybe it's your sibling that just never encouraged you or it's the, it's the coach that you really wanted their affirmation and they just were so hard on you and they never encouraged you, never told you that you were good at something. I mean, we know that words left unsaid can be just as damaging as words that are said. I would say the same is true when it comes to our mission to be, to be agents of grace, to be missionaries to the world, to be a priestly nation to our community. When we don't say things to people, that's just as much a, an unloving thing as when we do say things that are, that are careless. I mean, that person in your life that needs to hear about the gospel, when you resist that, that is actually hurting them. Back to Romans 15. He's saying, I will not, uh, he says, I will speak about what Christ has accomplished. He says, by word and deed, uh, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. He's focused, focused everything on on speaking about the gospel, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, which is a, a province of Rome, says, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand." This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. So I don't know if you remember this, but back in Romans chapter 1, Paul starts off this entire letter by saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel. See, Paul's responding to some criticism. People are like, Paul, what's your deal? Why haven't you come to Rome yet? They want to see him. And they're, they're, they're wondering, why haven't you come to Rome? And, and I'd imagine they're like, Paul, are you just ashamed of us? Are you ashamed of the gospel? You don't really want to be open about your faith? What is it? What's your problem, Paul? So Paul starts the letter by saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel, lays out all of this theology of the gospel, and he closes out his letter by saying, the reason I haven't come to you is because I am sharing the good news with Jesus who have never, with people who have never heard it. He is pinpoint focused. He is consumed by his cause. And he is willing to upset people He's willing to offend people. He's willing to, to cause people to be discouraged about his, his presence and he's not there because he's so focused on his calling. And he's like, listen, this is why I haven't been there because he says this, he doesn't want to preach 
somewhere where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Essentially, he's saying Christ is being declared. I mean, people are sharing the good news. The kingdom of God is expanding. And so I know that the Spirit of God is working in people, and so I don't want to build on someone else's foundation. I want to go to the person who knows nothing about Jesus. I want to go to the person who wants nothing to do with the church, and I want to, I want to share with them the, the explicit grace of Jesus in such a way that they might have a chance to respond. This man is so focused on his calling. What's your calling? What's your cause? What consumes you? And when you find that thing, you're going to find what your focus is in life, what your vision is. It, it's, uh, this is the illustration I had in my mind. Uh, you guys know the ruts on the Glen are terrible this year, right? I mean, <laughs> it's bad, right? When I came to Alaska about eight years ago, it was just like this, and they redid everything. But it has gotten terrible. There's a story of a guy that left Anchorage and made it all the way to, like, to Palmer without touching a steering wheel, right? I was just crazy. Some of you are going to go home and try that. Look, honey, pastor said, no, um, don't do that. It's dangerous, but I mean, they are crazy. And, and you know that what causes all the accidents in the winter? It's when people try to get out of the ruts, right? Once again, um, we, we use this terminology in our life, stuck in a rut. You ever said this? I'm stuck in a rut. And we only use that for bad things, don't we? It's like, man, I'm really stuck in a rut, you know, at my job, I, I keep doing this or that, or really stuck in a rut with, you know, with, with this in my marriage, it's not going well. We never use it for good things, right? Nobody ever says, I'm like really stuck in a rut with e eating bacon, right? I'm really stuck in a rut with, uh, with going out and, and uh, you know, going hunting. And you guys who love hunting, I'm really stuck in a rut with hunting. We only use it towards bad things. But I wonder if, if, if having ruts in your life uh, could be a good thing. Because ruts are essentially guidelines and they kind of keep you going a certain direction. And I think we all kind of need that. For Paul, it's his vision that he is part of this royal priesthood, that he's a minister of the gospel, and that is all he cares about. And that is, those are like guardrails for his life that keep him focused on the right direction. He's willing to give up his money and his energy and his resources and his time and his talents because he knows what he's about. And you know that what this is like because you have something that you obsess about too, and you'll give up anything for it. You'll give up your time, you give up your energy, you will obsess about it. You will lay in bed thinking about it. And that's the thing that, that consumes you. And ultimately, if it's not Jesus, I want to tell you, it will destroy you. It will not lead you to life. It will lead you to death. There's so much at stake here, isn't there? There's so much at stake. And I just think, you know, um, Easter is something that we look forward to every year because it's the one time uh, a year, other than Christmas, that people are willing to walk into a church. And, and I just, I've been thinking about it for weeks because it's not all about Easter, but Easter is an opportunity. And somebody's going to come to church on Easter and they're going to hear about the gospel and it's going to be different than what they thought it was. It's going to be a little more beautiful than they thought it was. The church is going to be a little bit more welcoming than they thought it was. And they're going to give Jesus a chance and their life is going to be changed. I mean, if that happens, what else is there? What else is there? What else is there worth, uh, that's worth consuming your life about, you know? But we don't want to be inconvenienced. We don't want to be seen as that crazy Christian. But uh, write this down. Our inconvenience is someone else's invitation. What you see is like something that's getting in your way or, or something that's, that's a sacrifice could be the beginning of a transformed life. 
Because if you're here today and you know Jesus, somebody took the time to tell you about him. Somebody decided to invest in you. Somebody was willing to spend a few moments to help you understand the gospel. Put yourself in their shoes. Our inconvenience is somebody else's invitation. It could be the beginning of life for somebody. <laughs> this, uh, a couple weeks ago, my wife and I were, were sitting on the couch. It's about 9.30 at night. And uh, between 8 p.m. and 10 p.m. is like a very special time in our home. It's mommy and daddy time, right? Because the kids go to bed at 8. And now it's like we can act like single people for two hours, right? And, you know, we turn some music on. We got a movie going. We get some snacks out. And it's like we're just gonna, we're gonna enjoy each other. And so it was like 9.30 at night, we're getting ready to watch a movie, and I leaned over to my wife, and I'm like, I can't focus. And she's like, why? And I'm like, I need me some potato chips. And, and if you know me, I have an obsession with, with jalapeno kettle chips. I mean, it's like, it's bad. It's, it is bad. It consumes me. It's my cause, I'll be honest. And so I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there, and I'm like, we don't have any. We don't have, the whole night is blown. We don't have any chips. And I was like, babe, I'm going to go to the grocery store. She's like, it's 9.30 at night. Are you serious? I'm like, I am. I'm dead serious. So I hop in the car, and I drive to Three Bears. And those of you who go to Three Bears know what happened. I got, I got there, and it was closed, right? Because it's not open at 9.30. And so I'm sitting in the, par- in the parking lot just sulking, right? The whole, lot, whole night is blown. And to a normal human being, that would have meant go home. But for me, it meant go find a gas station. So I drove to two more gas stations before I found some with some stinking kettle chips. And I went home and life was good, right? But I I was thinking about this and I was like, that's kind of ridiculous. I spent like 45 minutes driving around trying to find kettle chips in the middle of the night because I was so obsessed about some stinking chips, right? And I was just thinking like, when's the last time I did that for a human being? How how inconvenienced am I willing to be for a person that bears the image of God? And I wonder for you, what are you willing to do? How inconvenienced would you be? How much would you risk your reputation? How much would you spend on the salvation of another person? Because once again, think about it, like somebody invested in you. Somebody decided to, to make sure that we had a church in Eagle River, this building, Somebody gave so that we could have the lights on. That's good news. And you could come in here and keep these microphones running. Somebody decided to to maybe invite you to church or somebody decided to invite you into their home and spend some time with you and let you into their life and show you what the kingdom of God looked like by the way their, their marriage looked or by the way they parented. I mean, you were invested in. And what seems like an inconvenience to you is an invitation to somebody else. It could be the beginning of life for them. So I just want to ask you one more time. Are you sold out or have you sold out? That's what Palm Sunday forces us to answer. Are we all about Jesus? Are we focused on the mission? Is that what drives us to get out of bed in the morning? Is that what what we lay in bed at night thinking about? Is that what consumes our hearts? Because the last thing I want, and, and here's the truth, just I gotta be honest with you, there are churches all through the world full of people whose faith is dead. Do you know that? You know that, right? This should, this should not be new news for you. There are people throughout the world who go to church every single week and they are fooling everybody around them into thinking that they love God, but they really don't. You know that exists, right? And so, Paul says there will be a day when these Gentile believers will go before God and God will judge their hearts. And he wants them to be accepted by 
God in that moment. Here's what I want. I want for everybody in this room as a church, uh, this whole community, to be able to go before God one day and be accepted by God. Don't you want that? And that's not going to happen because you invited a couple people to church. It's not going to happen because you kicked this bad habit or because you put a couple bucks in the plate. It's going to happen because you realized that you were broken and you were needy and you needed grace and you said only Jesus can save me and you said I'm not going to add him to my life. He's not going to be a consultant for my life. He's not here to make my life a little bit happier. He's going to be my king and my Lord. That's why it's going to happen. And what, what would kill me is if you get to that moment and God does not receive you, and you're like, well, good news, I fooled everybody else. Good news, everybody thinks that I'm in heaven with God, but I'm not. I'm in eternity in hell apart from him. So there's no use playing the game. There's no use acting holier than anybody else. I just want you to spend a few moments here today and consider, is your faith real? Because Jesus, when he came into the city, he forced us to decide, will we make him our king or will we crucify him? So today for you, what will you do with Jesus? Let's pray together. God, to some extent, we all fail at this, living out our faith. So God, we come before you humbly and we acknowledge what the entire book of Romans says, which is that salvation doesn't come through our works. It doesn't come by anything that we can do. It comes through what you've already done. So Father, I pray someone in this room could receive that today. God, that we could resist our tendencies towards good religious behavior. And God, we could actually identify the driving force in our hearts. And if there is something in our lives today that we obsess about, something that is taking your place, something, God, that we have given our hope and our dreams to, that that today would be the day, God, that we, we take that thing off the throne of our hearts and we place you on the throne. God, we know it will destroy us, God, but you give us life. Jesus, we're so excited for Easter. We're excited to be able to celebrate your your resurrection. We're we're excited to celebrate that we have life and life to the full because of what Jesus accomplished. So God, we pray for an expanded movement of the kingdom in Eagle River and in Anchorage and in the valley. God, that you continue to move and we know, God, you want to use us to do it. We pray for the other churches in our community, God, that you would fill them with people desperate to hear about the grace of Jesus and that they would hear about an explicit, challenging, beautiful sort of grace. God, may we be your church. May we be a royal, holy nation. God, a royal priesthood of people who look like Christ to the world. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thank you.